Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. 1Password keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours I can't even count them all is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the podcast where we talk to the people behind the productivity. We talk to them about their struggles, their failures, as well as their successes in implementing daily productivity to get their work done successfully. This week, I'm talking with Brian Elaine. He is a blog coach, an author, humor writer, and overall a community builder or a tribe member and maker. He is also the creator and coordinator and just all around basic implementer to the Killer Tribes Conference in 2012 and 2013, and will be announcing the 2014 dates sometime very soon. Something I want to point out is a number, a large number, in fact, of the guests or speakers that have been part of his panels and speaker set for Killer Tribes 2012 and 2013 have been guests on this show. Also, Brian extended a discount to the audio from the Killer Tribes 2013 conference that just happened. It goes for $55. However, with this discount, using the code TODOLIST, you can get 40% off and get it for $33. I've gotten it myself, so take that as an endorsement. Go to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com slash 30, where you will see the link to go buy this, and use the promo code TODOLIST to get that 40% off. Now, there is a limited time on this. It's only going to be for the first two weeks while this is out. This is releasing May 1st, so you've got until... May 14th to take advantage of that code. Again, get it for 33 instead of 55 and it is well worth it. This week, I am talking with Brian Elaine. And no, that's not a girl's name. Sorry, I had to say that. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks. And thanks for not pronouncing again Brian Elaine, which I get sometimes. So how was it being on Seinfeld? You've probably heard <laughs> yeah. that a million times, huh? It was amazing. Me and Susan Isaacs, we were uh, we both did cameos. No, nice. uh, not on Seinfeld. 
I'm really glad to be able to talk to you. You got you and I have emailed back and forth a number of times in 2013. Let's say that. Here's where this gets cool. I don't know when I started following you on Twitter or when I even found out about you, but you're definitely one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter, which segues into tribes. What, yes. what does the word tribe mean to you? To me, a tribe is – it's a little bit different to me than the – fan dynamic where if you're a fan of a rock band or a fan of you know an athlete or whatever there's definitely a pedestal that that person is on um to me that element doesn't really exist so much in a tribe Uh, to me the chief of a tribe is still a part of the tribe um and so if you're in my you know you know you may be in my tribe you you follow me on twitter you like the stuff i tweet that's fantastic um so you're in my tribe well i'm in your tribe too because i listen to your podcast um you know and so that's the great thing about tribes you can be in many tribes and you can be in somebody's tribe and they can be in yours i think it it kind of takes the wall down a little bit between uh what it means to be a fan or a follower yeah that's interesting have you ever noticed have you ever done this where you follow like I don't know, five or six people all at once on Twitter and suddenly you see a whole lot more conversation because prior to that point you were only following maybe one of those people but then suddenly you see all the interaction they have with others. Yeah, that's – it is one of the cool things about Twitter to be like, wait, how does that person know that person? Right. Yeah. I just imagine like if you could zoom out and see like a Venn diagram of all the overlap of all these different tribes, how weird it would look. Yes, and if the Venn diagram was on Vin Diesel's head, that would also be interesting. That would be a great tattoo for him. (laughs) The idea of tribes for me just makes me think of – well, I mean, duh. The the word tribe always makes me think of like Indians, honestly. Sure. You know, in the the teepees and all that kind of stuff and I'm walking through the museum and it's like a family. It's like a family of families basically. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I think of. So yeah, and obviously, you know, Seth Godin really popularized the term with his book called Tribes a few years ago. I read the book. I love the book. It was at a time when I was really trying to figure out what am I building a tribe around. And at the time, I was running a blog that doesn't even exist anymore. But it really helped me to gel in my mind. Who are the people I'm trying to reach? What am I trying to rally them around? And I, I love the term tribe from the from the moment I heard it from him. So yeah, and I know it's been mainstreamed to death, I think, in some senses, which is unfortunate, because that word really has, like I said, more of a familial type of a, a feel to it when it comes down to describing what it describes. Yeah. And it's funny too. I just was commenting to someone the other day. I know it's becoming mainstream now because I've read two different people in the past week have kind of taken a shot at the word tribes. One of them being Donald Miller uh, in a post that he wrote recently just about, you know, I don't think we need tribes. And that wasn't his main point, but it was kind of a an ancillary point to what he was saying. And I was like, well, it's good that Donald Miller is knocking the, the term tribe since my whole business is based on that. But <laughs> So you didn't take it personally, though? No, not at all. I, I, I went back and forth about tweeting something. I know him a little bit, and so I, I went back and forth about whether or not I was going to give him a hard time on Twitter and decided it was – there was really no point to it, so I didn't. But Yeah. So you've been working with basically community building, is, is, we'll use the other term for a little while. It stems back to blogging before it was called blogging, really. Yeah, it really was. When uh, was that and what were you doing? Like, I mean, how did you get into that, basically? You were, yeah. you were sitting in a job that didn't need you, right? That's right. Yeah, it was uh, 
I love how you do your homework. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, it was it was back in I think the year two thousand. I always think of that Conan O'Brien skit in the year oh. two thousand. I used to do that um, for years after the year two thousand. <laughs> There's no flashlight on my face right yeah. now, but um, so yeah, it was 2000, and I was at a I was a contractor in the uh, engineering slash pharmaceutical world. I got brought in on a job, and when I say contractor, I don't mean like a hard hat contractor, but you know, you I got, under contract. Yes, under contract. I would go to different facilities for different lengths of time to help them with their validation and uh, QA work and other boring things. You but say anyway, validation. You go around telling them that they're worthwhile. <laughs> yes, yeah, that affirmation. Yes. And, um, no, my. Yeah, we don't need to get into it, but but validation is a thing in uh, the pharmaceutical world, and it's very important to the FDA. Uh, it involves testing and, and writing reports, and so that's what I used to do in my old life. We could talk about that later, but this company brought me in. They had a the big company. They had a budget for contractors, and they didn't want to not spend the money so they wouldn't lose the money. And so literally, they brought me into this job over the summer and said, we have no work for you to do, but we need you here. We need to be paying you or paying your company, and so – We'll let you know. And so like the, for every day for the first week, I went back and said, hey, you got any work? And they were like, no, seriously, we have no work for you. Uh, so essentially, I sat for three months at this job with nothing to do. Of course, the internet was around back in 2000, which was nice. And yeah. so my favorite band in the world was this band called Cayman's Call. I had started becoming a fan of them in 97 and was like in their fan club, which was called The Guild, and was on all the message boards their fans were on. And I thought, man, it would be great if there's one site where all the fans could get together and they could share their stories because the band always met with the fans after shows. And so people had these little tidbits of information. And I thought if I could rally everybody at one place, that would be cool. It would be fun to have like headlines on the front page. And I could even write some fake headlines that might make, make people laugh. And so that was kind of the genesis of the idea. And I, I did it because I had the time and I knew just a little bit of HTML and it worked, you know, I set up a message board and people started coming to it. And, and yeah, so that was kind of the first, I didn't, I didn't set out to, Hey, what am I going to build a tribe around? It was just like, I wish I had a place that all this information was and all these fans were. And so I created it cause I had the time and it, it really took off. Yeah. And I know that having listened to the audio from your Killer Tribes 2012 conference, you talked to Derek Webb about this and some of the things, because he was a member of Cademan's Call. He talked about how they were already kind of doing their own community building type stuff. I wonder how your site fit into what they were already naturally doing in the terms of, you know, giving away tapes of their music and giving their music away free, which, you know, eventually evolved into noise trade. But... I talked to him yeah. on that show. And and I got to say that, you know, one of the reasons I was able to talk to him was through you. So that, I, you know, thank you publicly for that. That was great. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed making that connection for you. Um, and yeah, I think down the road, like a few years into the community that I built, um, it became so popular with the fans that the band really didn't even have a choice to ignore it. Not that they wanted to, but, yeah. um, you know, our site was caymanscall.net. And so after every show, people would come up to them, hey, I'm from the .NET, hey, I'm from the .NET. Um, so eventually they were like, okay, what is this .NET? And so the band actually had a presence on the message boards and they would come on and answer questions and, and interact with the fans, which was really cool. 
and yeah, they've always, like you said, they used to get, they give away tapes, they encourage tape trading. So they were always into community and they had this fan club called the Guild that started off really strong. They had a Guild weekend. They invited everybody to a farm in Texas. I, I wish I could have went to the first one, but I didn't. They would put out special CDs every year just for the Guild. So they were all about it. Eventually it became something that they couldn't really do a good job on and it fell away. But that's kind of where my, I think my community kind of stepped in and, and actually, Years later, I was asked to run the guild, and I, I did do that for them for a little bit of time. But my community helped a lot, but they were they were all about it from the beginning. So then that was kind of your catalyst of, of getting into it, getting a taste of, of online community. You moved forward into doing what next? Because I know – like there's some there's some spots here where I don't know what you did, but eventually, <laughs> obviously, you kept doing you know work and eventually started and, and you know branched off into doing your own thing. I mean, you're self-employed now, doing the conference. You've written the books. You're blogging. Yeah. What, what's the timeline from the point past CavemansCall.net? In like 2005, I went into hibernation in a cave and came out in 2013. No, <laughs> um, the, the timeline is very long and winding, but. To try to hit the highlights, you know, I worked with the band, and this was all like I had this engineering job uh, on the side. So all, or not on the side, that was my full time gig. So now, all this stuff is engineering something you went to school for. I was curious, you know, what yeah. you studied for, because a lot of times people study for stuff and then they totally go off in a different direction. Yeah, I have a I have a degree in chemical engineering that I got way back in the '90s when I was in college. Nice. And um, so yeah, I've got a degree in chemical engineering. Went right from graduating to job in the pharmaceutical world as a validation engineer, like I mentioned. Um, and so I did that for 14 years until I did end up quitting or retiring or whatever you want to call it. So in around 2005, 2006, I had been doing this stuff for the band all on the side, all just because I loved it. Actually, through Derek, who had left the band, uh, Derek Webb, I, I happened to say to him one day, speaking of Donald Miller, I happened to say to him one day, uh, hey, you know, this fan site, that I do for Caymans. And actually at that point we had started DerekWeb.net, which was a fan site for him. I said, do you think Don Miller would be interested in a fan site for, uh, for himself and for his fans? And I, cause I knew Derek knew Don and, uh, he said, I, I bet he would let me get a hold of him. And so Derek connected me with Donald Miller. And so for a couple years, I think around 2006, it was like a year and a half where I ran this site called DonMillerFans.net. Shame on me for not kind of saving all the stuff on there because basically I would take all of the fan questions that came in through the site. I would email them to Don. He would write responses, get them back to me, and I would post them. And Don did this for, like I said, I had about a year and a half. He probably did it for like 150 questions. And I didn't pace myself. I would put a new one up every day. And uh, eventually Don got tired of doing it. And so the <laughs> site basically disappeared. Um but that was kind of my second foray, if you will, into building community because people would show up on this site for for the answer to Don's uh, questions. And so I did that. And through knowing Don through that site, I met Jordan Green, who is uh, a roommate that Don mentions in some of his books and also started the Burnside Writers Collective. Oh, yeah. Don came to a, a show at Messiah College. He did a show at Messiah College. Um, I think late 2006 and Jordan was with him. I went out, we had dinner and uh, Jordan was like, oh, you know, if you write, you should maybe submit something to Burnside. And that was the first time that I thought to myself, wow, you know, I think I actually might like that. 
Um, another thing that I have been doing over the years is I had this small little website that me and like seven other guys were the only people that knew about it and would go on it. Most of them were from college. My brother was on there as well. And uh, it was just a message board where we stayed in touch, but it also had a homepage where I would write these like headlines and articles about stuff that was happening in our lives. I did it because I loved it. I wasn't. I never thought to myself, wow, I must be a writer. Uh, never call myself a writer. Never thought of myself as a writer. But as I look back now, I realize I was writing fake articles about things happening in my friend's life. So clearly – you know, that was going on. And so um, I started submitting stuff to Burnside in 2006. First couple of things didn't make it on. Finally, something did. And that's when I started to realize, wow, I actually like to write. That's great. And you were practicing that whole time and you were enjoying it. You hadn't considered it as something that was, you know, a talent or, or a passion or a career option even. Yeah. And, you know, I would tell you now that humor writing is the thing that I love the most and, and I think the thing that I'm best at. But I didn't know it then, even though I, I always tried to be funny. I, I wouldn't have told, been able to tell you that. But right around that time when I started getting stuff on Burnside, I started to think maybe I want to write a book. And so I started working on a book that was part memoir, part talking about sports and faith, because those two things are pretty big elements of my life. I started writing this book and I came up with this name for it called Prayers for Blowouts just because I thought it was funny uh, that that a fan might pray that, you know, dear God, I hope we just destroy this other team, <laughs> you know, to the point where they go home and question their existence. And so I, I started writing this book, Prayers for Blowouts, and thought, well, I, sh I should have a blog that supports the book because there were a couple agents I was talking to, and obviously they were interested in my platform and all that. So I started the blog, prayersforblowouts.com, which is another blog that doesn't exist now. Ran that for about a year and a half and started to build a great community on there. Learned a lot of uh, a lot of good things about community building there that I had taken from the Cayman's Call days and from the Don Miller days, really. And even though I ended up deciding to shut down that site because a year and a half in, I realized, you know what? The only thing that I really, really love about this are the posts where I try to be funny. And I think humor writing is what I love to do most. And I'm going to go back to brianelaine.com which is my personal blog that's been around since 2001. And I've always used it just to riff on whatever. I said, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to really focus on creating humor content. I'm going to give that a shot because I think I'm good at it and I really love to do it. And so even though I had a growing community at Prayers for Blowouts, I shut it down and uh, did go back to brianlane.com. That was maybe around 2008 or so. Decided to give that a shot. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond again go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond at what point did you stop doing the chemical engineering Well, was there like a light bulb moment that says, I don't need to do that anymore? I mean, I always, I never had a passion for it. It's like, you know, I read books about how, you know, don't sleepwalk through life or whatever. And and in some ways I feel like I have, in other ways, I feel like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. You know, I believe God has brought me through stuff for a reason. And and that job helped me provide for my family, which has always been my top priority. So um, there's kind of a strange tension there, but I never really had a passion for it always was kind of hoping something else would come along. And, you know, like I said, in 2006 or seven, when I realized I started to love writing, that maybe this could be something, even though I knew writing books is a terrible way to make a living. um, I thought maybe there's something to this. And so I kind of all along, I I knew I wanted to get out of engineering, but it never seemed like a viable option. But my blog kept growing. When I did go back to write more humor in 2008, 2009, that's when my blog really took off for me. Um, you know, the numbers were never astronomical, but they doubled, tripled, I guess posted a lot. I started making these connections. People responded like never before in my blog. That's when I realized I was onto something. And then as my blog got more popular, people started coming to me for blogging advice. Um, and so around 2010 is when I thought to myself, I wonder if I can turn the blogging advice into a business, Um, you know, helping people set up their blogs, giving them coaching. I think 2010 was when I really started to think of that. And so it was late 2010 where I kind of came up with the name Blog Rocket as a business, as a course, put it out there. Hey, if anybody's interested for 200 bucks, I'll coach you for three months. Uh, And I had, I think, eight people sign up for that. And so that was kind of the beginnings of me helping other people to build their tribes. Nice. At what point did you quit your day job? Yeah, I quit the day job August uh, 2012. Oh, so, so that was even just recently. Yes, that was, you know, seven months from when we're recording this. Yeah. Now, did having Killer Tribes 2012 go off well, kind of pull weight in that decision-making process? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Killer Tribes, doing the conference was a result of – coaching that I did with uh, Ben Arment in the Dream Year program. Okay. Uh, you know, late 2010, when I started to, to think I want to make this a business, that kind of propelled me into joining his coaching program in 2011. Um, I, you know, it, it was an investment financially and also a little bit of time, but I was so frustrated not being able to take big enough steps towards my goal. You know, my wife, Erica, is super supportive of has always been super supportive of me and pursuing these things on the side. 
she always would tell me, you're going to get out of this day job eventually, especially on the days when I didn't think I ever would. And so when I said, hey, I want to join this coaching program in 2011, she said, you know, it's an expense, uh, but go for it. And so I did. And Ben is fantastic. It was a great program. He helped me launch, you know, my course for the first time. And he helped me launch uh, the conference because Ben, uh, if you don't know Ben, he does conferences. He does the Story Conference in Chicago every fall. He used to work for Catalyst, helping them launch their West Coast conference. So I thought if I'm ever going to try to put on a conference, which seems so daunting, I better do it while Ben is my mentor. And so he encouraged me to do it. And so we started the plans in 2011, and that led to, to doing it in March 2012. And yes, that was a critical piece of me being able to take this leap because, you know, one of the things I tell people about putting on a conference is that there are thousands of decisions to be made and you need to have a filter by which to make those decisions or a majority of those decisions. Otherwise, you're just going to fry. So for me, that first conference, I knew I had to make money on that conference because if not, it would be a step backwards for the goal that I had of building enough revenue up in my business that I could take this leap without destroying my family. And so every decision that I had to make, it was like, is this going to help me make money or not? So, you know, swag bags, are we going to have them at the conference? Well, they'd be nice to have people like them. Is it going to help me make money? Not really. So let's not have them, you know, lunch. I I don't want to pay for people's lunch. They can go out. I'll give them extra time. They'll go out and get their own lunch. Every decision was made that way. And while I didn't make a killing off it, I was able to to turn a profit on my first conference, which is not something a lot of people can say. And then in selling the audio afterwards, make a little bit of money doing that as well. Yeah. Well, and I definitely want to talk more about the you, – you actually just came off Killer Tribes 2013. And I w- definitely want to talk more about that. But something that you just brought up that I think is kind of a key missing piece as to how – tribes kind of relates to this, you know, whole buzzword of productivity is what a tribe is there for or what people build tribes for. And it's that word support. And when you said that your wife supported you, it really just brings to mind the fact like of how my wife supports me and how, you know, we first and foremost have these individual, you know, we've got these circles, in other words, of tribes. Mm -hmm. And there's the closest one, which is, you know, whether you have some kind of a a faith to you and, you know, maybe it's a you and God kind of a a, a circle or a tribe. And then that second one being uh, your family. And then you branch out. But And I think it's one of those things where, like Bono saying, uh, sometimes you can't make it on your own. And I think he's wrong. I think it's all the time. Nobody makes it on their own. Come on. I just said Bono was wrong. That's that's really bad. (laughs) But anyway – yeah, I don't think anybody makes it on their own. I don't. I mean, I know I wouldn't be where I am without every other person that's ever been influential in my life. So that's the importance of the tribe. And so I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing. I wouldn't be getting anything done. I wouldn't be who I am or where I'm going to go without all my different tribes. And so it, that's why it's important. Yeah, and you know, as you're doing things that are challenging and outside your comfort zone. You know, for those people out there who are thinking about making a career change or trying something that may not work, trying something big and audacious, you're always going to have people in your life that are kind of going to look at you sideways and think, really, you're going to try that? Are you you sure? And you don't cut those people out of your life, but yeah, you kind of almost have to silo them and say, okay, I can think of people off the top of my head right now that it was like, okay, clearly this person is not believing the best for me and 
really doesn't have anything positive to say. So they're still my friend. I love them. But when it comes to this particular area, I'm not going to give that person really any say because that's just how they are. Um, and then there are other people who are super confident and believe in you and are encouraging. And it's like, yeah, those are the people that I'm going to go to when I need when I need the support. And not that you kind of deny reality or you you only surround yourself with yes men because that's obviously not the point. But that support from Erica was huge for me. I, outside of just the emotional support that she gave, she made some choices and taking on a, a different part-time job that really made it possible for me to make the leap. So yeah, the support was huge. Yeah. And obviously, you know, she's been there a long haul from the, the point in time early on through to now. And I mean, how, how long have you guys been married? Yeah, we've been married for, uh, shoot, you're putting me on the spot. We've been married <laughs> since 19, August 99 is when we got married. Okay. So, uh, so about 14 years. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, she was there, you know, in the early days of our marriage when we had young kids and I'm staying up till one o'clock in the morning working on the caveman's call site, getting lyrics to a song up or answering stuff on the forums. And she's like, why are you doing this? Or she didn't, I mean, she wasn't bitter about it. She just didn't get it. Um, but she knew I loved it, knew I was passionate about it. So she's, you know, we mentioned all the different spots on the timeline and the winding journey. And yeah, she's been there the whole way. And so when people hear that I, you know, change careers and I left my day job, um, and they think, oh, that's so brave to do, uh, you know, which in, in some ways, you know, it definitely is a risk. But she always tells them, yeah, this was not something we did on a whim. You know, this was years and years of frustration, years and years of planning. And we absolutely, you know, held each other's hand and took the leap together. Well, that I mean, that's what support does is tribes and especially wives make you brave, hopefully. Mm -hmm. yeah. And hopefully we do the same for them. I mean, come on. Exactly. I mean, now, now that I've done this, I need a new goal now, you know, other than, I mean, I want to have a successful business, obviously, but it's funny, the first month after, actually, I gave my notice at work, I believe in July 2012. And so then I had it maybe three or four, or maybe it was the beginning of August, but I had like three and a half weeks until I actually left. And those were some of the most unproductive weeks I've ever had in my business because Something that I had been working for for so long, years and years and years, I, you know, I gave my notice. It was an amazing moment. You know, it was better than I thought it would be. And, and most people at work had no idea that I was doing this stuff on the side. So they were floored and that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but then it was like, okay, wh what do I do? I mean, I, I love writing, obviously. And so I was motivated in that sense. But this goal that I had been you know, reaching for was suddenly obtained. And so I felt very unmotivated in some sense. And so I've had to get on new goals. And obviously the pressure to produce and the bank account is, is all the motivation I'll ever need. But, mm -hmm. you know, my wife is working a part-time job. She helps out her mom's business. And while she enjoys that, there are other things that she enjoys more. And, and I'd like to help her transition to that at some point. She's, she's a fitness nut and I'd love to help her teach more classes because it's something she enjoys doing. So, so yeah, like you said, I, I want to support her as much as she supported me. And that's great. I mean, that, that whole transition time, especially what you're talking about with just having the sudden demotivation or, or sudden lack of wind behind your sails as, as you're heading off. I mean, you actually know, okay, three weeks and I'm out. That's just crazy to me. Like, I'm not saying that was like weird for you to have that feeling. I think that's probably something that's normal. It's just your brain can't comprehend the change that's about to take place and yeah, the I, workflow change that you're going to have to undergo to really 
make your new business survive and thrive then. Yeah, and it was not something that I expected at all. I was really caught off guard by it. And yeah, just with the day-to-day stuff, there was a lot of things that caught me off guard. Like I I hustled so hard in the margins to get stuff done. You know, I wrote a book in the margins. I ran communities. I ran now, multiple can blogs you explain, at once. What do, you, what do you mean by in the margins? I know what you mean, but I, I think some people might not know what you mean by that. Yeah, you know, I've, I've got the day job. I had an hour commute each way. Um, I've got two kids and a family and, you know, sports and hobbies and all this stuff. And so you got to find time to do this stuff. So the margins for me were, you know, between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. in the morning, sometimes in the evening, sometimes on the weekends. Everything I accomplished for my business uh, was all in these little one-hour and two-hour chunks, um, you know, early mornings and weekends or whatever. And so I thought that, and I always thought, well, someday when I have, when I, when I can devote all 40 hours a week to this stuff, man, if it scales, it's going to be great. Well, it doesn't scale, at least not for me. You, your productivity isn't, isn't a linear relationship. Just because you have more time doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, part of the reason I was so effective is because I only had one hour. And so I knew I had to get it done. So yeah, there were a lot of things that I had to learn. And, and one of them was, and one of the things that caught me off guard was that lack of motivation from, you know, because re- really, I mean, not to overstate this, but my brain was just hardwired for, I got to get out of this job. Like I just, I really had zero passion for it. It was a good job. Mm. It was a desk job. But I mean, literally like when I had a dull moment in life, my brain would go to, What's my next blog post because I need to keep the traffic numbers up because I need to make money with my business because I need to leave this job. Like everything funneled back to I got to get out of this job. And so once once I did, it was – I was lost almost. Like I, I didn't know what lens to view life through. It was like, okay, what – you know, I've achieved this thing. I, I some days never thought I would. So I'm seven months in and one of the mistakes that I made – I think, well, I don't know if I call it a mistake, but I thought, okay, if I give myself six months to really start building the business up, that should be plenty of time because I've got every day to work on it. Well, six months isn't really a long runway to give yourself. And, you know, some things have gone better than I thought. Some things have gone a lot worse, but, uh, and and I'm going to make it, but I definitely, there was so much learning and so much like a rewiring of my brain. If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't change anything, but probably more realistic would have been like a year or a year and a half to really get the business up more than just six months. I think I see kind of what happened was you had aimed for, you know, you saw the finish line, but you were looking at the finish line as being putting in your notice and you had suddenly passed that. Yep. And so it was like, and then you were like, wait, my, my psyche is trying to catch its breath, but I know I need to start ramping up. And anyway, that, yeah, man, isn't that weird how sometimes like the voices, for good and bad, like they, you just don't fully aware, aren't fully aware of what you're thinking or you're feeling in these instances. Yeah, and it's it's funny too when 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 you say that because I had an inkling that might happen. I had record, I had done an interview with John Acuff, who I know you just had on your podcast. I had done something with him like a year and a half ago, and I talked with him specifically about that moment when you put your notice in, and I said, you know, for me, that was always, like you said, this finish line, this dream, and I said to John, how amazing was that moment when you did that? And he said, yeah, it was great, but, you know, it wasn't the be-all and end-all, and I kind of realized in that moment, oh, yeah, you know what, by the time you get to that finish line, 
you realize this is just the beginning of the next part of your journey. But even though I knew that, it still caught me off guard when I got there. Yeah. So you've really had to switch over to being the person that's accountable for the entire business. I mean, you're your own boss. You've had to shift how you plan your workday and and how do you do that? And and I think this is a good place for me to ask the question I ask everybody, which is in an ideal world, how do you start your day? In an ideal world, I think it's 18 holes on the golf course, uh, followed by an hour-long massage and uh, Taco Bell. No. Um, wow. The, I was not. with you till the Taco Bell. And then... <laughs> no, definitely not Taco Bell. Well, most days I, I quit in August. And so we did this on purpose so that I would start in September uh, the school when the school year started. Uh, my kids are in fourth grade and sixth grade. And so um, Kylie and Parker, they're amazing children. So I basically in the morning, I help them get off to school. I'll get up at six usually and I'll pray then because if I if I don't spend time praying, then it I'm probably not going to make time for it later. Uh, so I'll pray. I'll do a little bit of reading, and then I'll help them get breakfast, get ready for school and that. So it's usually not till 7.30, 7.45 that it's kind of me time. And so um, if I've got a project that I'm working on, a deadline I'm trying to hit, I will jump right into that and get going on it. But I don't always have something I'm trying to hit. And so on those days, those are the days that I pop onto Twitter and I check the email to see – uh, if there are any fires to put out or, you know, check my fantasy teams and check sale book sales overnight. And some mornings I, I will I will not pretend like I am a master of the to do list or I am a master of time management. I have a lot to learn and a lot of ways that I can improve. Ideally, when I'm working on something and I have a deadline, I like to just jump into it right away. I'm definitely better in the morning. In fact, a lot of those times when I did have the day job. I would be up at 5 or 5.30 and immediately jump right into something and be super productive. Those are probably my favorite mornings when I can do that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, the, my, my best mornings are those mornings too when I just I get up incredibly early. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I have a great day job. So I have to still do – you know, I get up, do stuff, then do family stuff, then get myself ready, and then I go do that. But uh, – yeah, it's it's a definitely a shift when suddenly, oh, what do you mean I don't have to be anywhere other than where I say I have to be? That means I have to be accountable for that to myself. <laughs> Crap. You know, yep. and, yep. You, and I, how's that struggle going for you? Yeah, it's a struggle for sure. Absolutely. Like I miss having a boss. I had biweekly meetings with my boss in my day job. And so there were many days where it was day 13 and I was going to meet with him the next day and I got a bunch of stuff done on my list because I knew I had that accountability. Right. And so I have struggled not having that accountability and it's forced me, especially over the last like six weeks, to really get a task and put a deadline on it. And I'm still trying to figure out what works best for me. I've, I've messed with all sorts of different stuff. I've tried plotting my day out half hour block by half hour block. I've tried listing three things and saying, I got to get at least number one done today, but hopefully these three. I wish I could say this is exactly what works for me, but I'm still in the process of trying to figure that out. Well, and you're only what, seven months in now? Yep. So you're still, I mean, you're probably the most newbie of an entrepreneur that's so, you know, out there on their own, finally doing it out of everybody that's been on the show, honestly. Yeah, and so, I, lis- I listened to the, I think it was the Dan Miller episode that you had, and I'm like, man, this guy's got his day, you know, his week down pat, like, that's where I need to get to. Yeah, but um, he's also in his 50s, 
or more. I don't know. Anyway, didn't do my homework <laughs> there, but he's he looks younger than he is, I assume. Because he's yeah. he's but he's been around a long time, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, so then these past seven months, you've been you had a deadline coming up, which just passed, which was Killer Tribes 2013. Yeah. How did that go? It went really well. I heard great things. Yeah. It was it was an amazing time. The uh, first conference I did in 2012 was in Nashville. I live in Pennsylvania, but I decided I was going to bring the conference to the people instead of bringing the people to the conference. Um, had a lot of Nashville connections, and that went really well. This time around, I actually lost the venue right at the last minute before I was going to announce it because the church I was holding it at, they had some other stuff going on, and they, they weren't comfortable. Even though everything went well the first time, they weren't comfortable uh, renting the building out. So I had to scramble, and it was like find another place in Nashville, bring it up to PA, or maybe Atlanta, which I had some connections there. And it turned out that was the one that worked out the quickest. It went great. Ticket sales weren't actually quite as good as Nashville, which was a little disappointing, although my tickets uh, were a little bit more expensive, so it kind of evened out. But yeah, the conference was great. I had you know some amazing speakers there. We had uh, about 100 people there uh, a few Saturdays ago. Yeah. And yeah, I should it, mention, it went great. I should mention that... Uh, both the 2012 and the 2013, I was looking at the speaker list again, and I was just like, hey, I've had them on the show. I've had them on the show. So a number of the people you've had speak at the Killer Tribes Conference have been on this show before, which is great. Yeah, I, we must have some of the same connections, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, the the, the people that I, I try to book people that are not only just going to hopefully sell a few tickets, but are actually going to provide value. The conference itself, people ask, what is Killer Tribes all about? In fact, over Easter – one of Erica's aunts was like, "What? What is Killer Tribes? What are you doing?" Like she, th- she thought she really thought it had to do with I don't know killing people. Um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty-four-seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's kind of like you're from Pennsylvania. Is the word killer there popular like the whole, I don't know, Boston, Northeastern, wicked awesome? Yeah, apparently not as much as I thought because she she was pretty confused. But, I mean, it's it's really 75% of the attendees are bloggers and that's because it's relevant information for them and also because me being a blogger, those are my people. But, um, you know, we have small business owners there. We have entrepreneurs there. We have ministry leaders there. It's really for anyone who is trying to build a tribe, trying to really hone in on their voice and their message and trying to rally a group of people around the thing that resonates with them. Um, So that's when I 
book the speakers. That's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to bring in musicians and I'm looking to bring in authors and writers and bloggers and conference organizers and to really have them share inspirational stories of of how they've gotten to where they've gotten to and then also educational uh, stuff as well to, to, to share practical tips so other people can kind of replicate it. It sounds like a great time. I know that the weekend it was happening, I was following it on my Twitter feed and uh, was just really, really jealous of everybody that was there. Yeah. So and, I'm really I mean, looking forward to 2014s. Whenever you get around to getting near the, the information, start leaking about that because I want to make sure I can come. And it should be – I don't know if I'll be in Nashville or Atlanta. That's one of the things we're going to try to figure out. And yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll be making that announcement soon. That was another kind of quote-unquote mistake that I made is I, I didn't give myself a long enough runway with putting this conference on. Part of that reason was because I lost the venue at the last minute. But even before that, I was right in the middle of you know leaving the day job and, and getting all the ducks in a row. Um, there was actually a time where I was in talks with Dave Ramsey's organization about possibly taking a job there, uh, even though no official offer was ever made. So there's a lot of things that were in flux. This year, I want to get that stuff squared away much sooner. So hopefully I'll have an announcement soon. Well, each one, I mean, that's why I definitely want to come next time is because from the audio that I've heard from 2012 and the, and let's talk about the audio for 2013 in a sec. From what I've heard, it's just, it's excellent people doing, speaking and inspiring and excellent you know, ways with their words. And, you know, you've done two right now, one before the day job was quit and now one after. And each time, I, I just believe you're going to keep getting better at it, especially because you're learning from your experience. So, <clears throat> yeah, thanks. And, you know, one of the things I learned this year, I kind of learned it last year and then I, I apparently needed to learn it again, was that I need, I just need to have a better team around me. And some of the people that really stood out to me this year as they support the brand, they support the idea behind the conference. I've already started talking to them and saying, hey, can you come on and kind of just be somebody who assists me in putting this event together? Because, you know, my wife looked at me at one point and she was like, do you like this? Because I don't I don't remember which day that was that we were in Atlanta, if it was actually on the conference day or the day before. But there's just so many moving parts and so many things that go into it. And I have one of the things I've found is that I'm not good at delegating. I would have told you that I was good at delegating. I thought I was. It turns out I'm not. It turns out my first thought is usually, you know what, I can just take care of that. It's not a big deal. And whether it's because I don't want to put people out or because I think I maybe can do a better job than somebody or, or good enough. But that's something that that I've learned. And so I'm excited to that I'm building a team now and, and that it's going to make the experience even better for me next year. That's awesome. The great thing is, is that while people wait for Killer Tribes 2014, they can get the audio for Killer Tribes 2012 and 13. I'm really excited. 2012, we got audio recorded for the entire conference, except we had one little blip uh, actually during Derek Webb's Q&A session, which was a, a huge bummer because it turns out that's what, what people enjoyed the most. Because um, he can I'll, talk. Yes, he can talk. And and, I, and yeah, having known him a little bit, I, I kind of knew which questions to ask him. So I ended up going back and doing a second interview with him. So if you go to KillerTribes.com uh, and kind of find our resources, you'll see that you can purchase either the Killer Tribes 2012 audio, just the nine talks, or you can purchase the bonus package for a few extra bucks. And that's got four extra interviews, one of them being with Derek Webb, where we kind of talk about the same things that we talked about in the conference. So, so yeah, and that's, I've got really great feedback on that audio. Uh, really excited about 
2013 because I wasn't able to hear everything. Most of the sessions are main sessions, but we did have in the morning, we had two different panels going on at the same time. We had one panel on book on writing a book in that journey. We had four authors talking about that. And in another room, we had a, a panel on productivity and time management, uh, three great people in there. So I kind of was back and forth, didn't really get to hear the full session. And then in the afternoon, we had uh, three breakout sessions going, and that was the same thing. I didn't get to hear all of them. So, so yeah, I'm excited myself. I just got the audio, finishing up editing it now. Probably by the time folks listen to this, it will be on the site and available. And what I'll do is I'll link link to uh, KillerTribes.com in the show notes, but I'll even dig deeper and give the unique you know URLs to those so they can go straight to those to purchase those because that's going to be – I mean honestly, it's one of those things where – not going, not getting to go to a conference like you know with NMX and Blog World. Like one of the great things about those is that they provide that after the fact with what they call a a virtual ticket. What I've learned is what it does is it frees you up, having purchased that, to then feel great about skipping sessions and actually hanging out and networking with people. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and yeah, and the content. I mean, I, like I was there for most of it, so I know that it's great content. Um, the speakers really brought it. Ben Arment, who I've already mentioned. Uh, he spoke about the two different kinds of work that you can do. One is working for other people and one is working for yourself. Uh, that was a real inspiring talk. John Saddington, he talked about entrepreneurship. Crystal Payne, the money-saving mom at moneysavingmom.com. She was probably my uh, biggest name speaker and she she was fantastic too. I gave a I actually gave the closing talk um, and actually I have a new ebook out that's kind of based on that, that closing talk. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So I was surprised that it wasn't a treasure map because I really wanted one. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I should have actually had like a, a treasure map in the back or something, but yeah, the name of the book is called, uh, this is not a treasure map. And it's based on the talk that I gave at killer tribes, really something that's been percolating in my head almost since the first killer tribe. So close to a year. Just this idea, and it's based on the idea. I don't want to give too much away because it's such a short ebook. It's really just one simple idea fleshed out in about 2,000 words. But I think many of the people doing what you and I are doing, we kind of approach it as like we're looking for treasure, like we're looking for buried treasure. Like we all have this plot of land and we've got to find the treasure on it. And I think we do that because we see the success of other people and we think, you know what, I saw them try a few things that didn't work, but then they tried something and it worked and they just must have found the treasure. Maybe they had a good treasure map. Maybe they got lucky, you know, and then we think, I want that for me. I want to find the treasure that's on my land. I want to get lucky or I want a better treasure map. And so the book is called This Is Not a Treasure Map because I think that's the wrong approach to it. And in the book, I present what I think is a better approach to looking at the creative work that we're doing. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we just get envious of other people's success and we think, man, I need their map. And then we realize, oh, it was their map, not mine. <laughs> and that they didn't even have the map in front of them when they were doing it. Exactly. Jeez. And 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 yeah, and we th- we picture them as having found their treasure and sitting on a, a pile of riches and, uh, you know, and the truth is, they're probably still hustling and still working mm-hmm. because they really didn't find a treasure. So, like I said, it's a it's a real short ebook. I'm actually it's on Amazon if folks want to pick it up there. It's ninety nine cents. But really, I want to give it away for free. So if if folks come to KillerTribes.com, uh, they can get it for free. Just give me your email so I know where to send it. That's awesome. Yeah, I grabbed it. I'm enjoying it. I threw it on my iPad last night, actually, because I was like, I'm interviewing Brian. I should probably read <laughs> I should probably read his stuff before I interview him. So uh, it is short, and it is well worth the read. I think everybody should go grab it and give him his, your email address, and, and you'll get it. So 
One other thing I want to say is I'm going to go on record and say I really enjoyed actually Clams Are Miserable. Oh, thank it's, you. It's the exa- It's my kind of humor. So I think I think we have a very similar humor. It's not about like or dislike. It, uh, with humor, it's about if you have the same sense of humor. Yeah. Well, so. it's, that's really encouraging to hear you say that. We do have the same sense of humor then because cause that book is my sense of humor too. Like I, I tried to write a book that I just thought was funny. Um, and so that was – I have two other books out that are both on kind of social media and blogging. Those are both ebooks. This book, which came out at the end of 2012 – was my first uh, attempt at just a straight humor book, and it's a, it's available in paperback on Amazon. Again, it's called Actually Clams Are Miserable, and it just pokes fun at 101 ridiculous cliches that we say all the time without really thinking about you know what we're saying. Yeah. So yeah, that that book probably the most fun project that I've ever had I've ever worked on was putting that book together. That was the thing that excited me in the morning to get out for more than anything else. So. I think chances are I will do another ebook at some or another humor book at some point in the future. I hope so. I really hope so. Okay, I know what actually clams are miserable means, and in, in you know what what cliche that that connects to. Explain that so people understand a little bit more what the gist of the book is. It's obviously based off of the cliche uh, "happy as a clam." What I, I just think, what does that even mean? Happy as a clam. Now, some, Who, who's talked to a clam to know that? They're happy. Exactly. And what does a clam really have to be happy about anyway? You're a bivalve mollusk that's buried in sediment on the ocean floor for your entire life. And then like the very end of your life, you get scooped up by the Gorons fishermen and you end up in some New Englander's bowl of clam chowder. Really not anything to be happy about. So so actually um, clams are miserable. Yeah. yeah. When it comes down to it, clams are miserable. So that's kind of the take that I take on the cliches. You will not learn anything in the book. There in fact, have been there's a, f- a lot of lies. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty well, of lies. Fiction, we'll call it fiction. But but I've but I've had uh, quite a few negative reviews on Amazon from people who picked up the book hoping that they were going to learn about the etymology of words and phrases, and and were very disappointed. Somebody said I was the it was like reading the rantings of a five year old, which is definitely the my favorite one star review that I've ever received. And there's been some good ones, but the rantings of a five year old that might go on my gravestone, nice. perhaps. But yeah, you won't learn anything. Hopefully, you laugh. So that's that's the gist of it right there. I mean, you've got a humor book. You've got a number of books where people can learn, although those books also have your sense of humor, your voice, I should say, in them. Yes. So. Yeah. I made I made the decision when I was working on the first one, which has also been my most successful. That's 31 Days to Finding Your Blogging Mojo. I made, I had an epiphany one, one night working on that, that if I don't make this book funny, then it's going to not be fun for me to put together and it's not really going to be my voice. So – I put random jokes in between chapters and tried to make it funny. Now, that did that turn some people off? Absolutely. Does that lead to a handful of people wanting a refund on Amazon every month? Absolutely. But it's me. And so yeah. I just got to be me. I'm going to put out there the art that I want to create. And, um, you know, people want it. They can have, I, just got, I actually just got this morning, I got a negative comment on my blog from somebody who was threatening to ask for a refund for that book probably because they didn't like the humor, which I don't know why you threaten to get a $5 refund. Just ask me for it. Just and I'll ask it for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I try to be funny. I think I'm pretty good at it. Uh, I haven't had enough people in my life tell me that I should stop. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it because I love to do it. Well, again, you're a validation engineer, so yeah, you, exactly. you know where your worth is at. Um, there's a book for you right there. 
Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, I mean, that was one of the things I was thinking of. I mean, when you get – humor is just one of those things where it's tricky. And our mutual friend, uh, John Acuff, who we just who I just interviewed, I mean, even he throws, you know, random stuff that sometimes readers probably won't even get the reference. I know I didn't. And I'm like – I'm not I'm not, I'm like a year younger or two than you John and I don't get your reference crap what's that about you know? Right Yeah that's a great example of somebody just being themselves But it's his voice and his passion and so and if he did, if he turned that off you wouldn't get the great stuff from him or from you or from anybody if they yeah. don't fully authenticate and you know be themselves in their work so whatever Yep <laughs> That's all I got to say on that subject so you also have a community wins book 21 thoughts on building a thriving online tribe. And again, that's not a treasure map to building yeah. a tribe. It's just some common things that people have done because there's there's really no formula to building a tribe. Right. And I say that right in the beginning of Community Wins. I say that if you're reading this book looking for a formula, I'm sorry, there is no formula. But here are, you know, in building communities over the past 10 years, here are some things that I've learned. Here's mistakes I've made. Here's what I think is important. And I, the other thing I try to do with that book, and I did it with 31 Days as well, is that I give action steps because – and I actually – I just listened to your podcast with John, and I know he talked about the same thing. You know, Information without action is kind of useless. So I try to – I like to challenge my reader to take action. Here's an action step you can take because I know when I'm reading a book, I need that. I need you to tell me here's an opportunity to put this into place. Here's a chance to do that. So I try to do that for my readers. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and go do something I don't normally do is I'm going to give the listeners homework and that if they go to the show notes for this episode, in the comments, what I want you to do is write down who are some of the people that are in your tribe and what are the, some of the tribes that you are involved in? Because I think you'd be surprised when you actually sit down and think about it, Yeah, what I you're would. involved with. And I would, I'll definitely look through the comments there. I would love, I'd be very interested, especially to see the people that they feel like they're in their tribe. Like, who do you look to as a tribe leader? Yeah, that's great homework. I, I'm looking forward to reading that. Awesome. Well, Brian, it's been great to have you on the show. I know that for a long time I've been wanting to talk to you in person and we just didn't get around to it. And so I, I partially because you were working on Killer Tribes so much. So Yeah. <laughs> and traveling. It's been great to have you. I'm going to put all the links to everything we talked about in this episode in the show notes. Is there anywhere else? Oh, your blog, com, And let's tell them it's it's B-R-Y-A-N-A-L-L-A-I-N.com. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's where I don't write quite as much humor as I used to, but I still try to once in a while. That's kind of been my online hub since 2001. And then obviously KillerTribes.com is kind of the hub for my business. I'm very, uh, very grateful for you having me on. I'm a fan. I'm in your tribe, like I said. I'm a fan of the podcast. I've gotten a lot of good information out of it. So a little bit intimidating coming on because I, you know, being seven months into this journey, I feel like I'm still learning and, and not really in a position to to really help people out in their journey. But hopefully people were just inspired to not only take some risks and chances, but to understand that every everything that they do in their journey it's not just isolated things. It's not things that you do in a vacuum. Everything, and I talk about this in my new book, but everything kind of builds up. And the connections I made in 2000 and 2005 and 2006, they all kind of work together. And so wherever the listeners are at in their journey, like take comfort in the fact that even your failures from the past and definitely your successes are all leading you somewhere. Uh, and it's exciting to see the journey that they're on. 
Definitely. I can definitely validate that because my success with this show at all has only been due to the fact that I've been in other people's tribes and interacted with members there and they've, you know, claimed to be part of mine and it's yeah. grown and I mean people would look at you and say, "Well, you've got like, you know, multiple ebooks out there and and put on two conferences and <laughs> they'd be surprised. I mean, that's why it's good to hear have people hear you talk about the fact that oh, you mean he's only just 7 day, 7 months out from his, you know, day job and he still struggles with day-to-day productivity? Maybe yeah. there's hope for me. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny when you repeat back the things that I've accomplished, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, that is kind of cool. That guy sounds good. But yeah, really. But I fall into the comparison trap just like everybody else where, yeah, my conference was great, but it wasn't this conference or look at that conference or look at the books this guy's putting out. So yeah, I mean, people have heard tons of stuff on the comparison trap. I talk about it in Community Wins. I know John A. Cuff talks about it a lot, Mm -hmm. but that's something that I... I'm constantly struggling just like probably your listeners are too. Yeah. So we can both attest to we've done none of this stuff without support and that's what tribes are all about. So again, do your homework and go to beyondthetodolist.com. Leave your comment there about you know what you've thought about, about w- what tribes you're in and who is in your tribe. Anyway, Brian, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been awesome to have you. Thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate it. That wraps up another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Again, thanks to Brian Elaine. And again, don't forget to take advantage of the special offer for the first two weeks from May 1st to 14th to get 40% off the Killer Tribes 2013 Conference Audio Package. It's worth $55, but you can get it for $33 using the code To-Do List. Go to beyondthetodolist.com slash 30 to use that code And no, I don't have any kind of affiliate thing set up for that. It's just honestly a great deal. Please go take advantage of that while you can. I'm listening through it right now, and I'm learning as much or more as I usually do from listening to my guests on this show. So that's saying something. Again, go check that out, beyondthetodolist.com slash 30. The code is todolist. We'll see you next time. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Find more great podcasts like How to Podcast, Clean Comedy, Once Upon a Time, Christian Worldview, and more at noodle.mx. Think, laugh, and succeed by subscribing to our podcasts at noodle.mx. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.